Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 28. Again, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing now on the preaching of his word. Oh, Father. Oh, Father, we, we come to this, this marvelous passage in which we see such a great example of faith. And, Lord, we, we ask that even as we, we hear this text and as we hear the word preached, we ask that you would, would grant us the grace to respond to your word, even as this woman responds to the very hard words of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, grant us to have a faith like hers and work this faith in us by your spirit. For, Lord, we know that you do use the preaching of your word to, uh, to grant faith in the hearts of your people, to strengthen that faith which is there. Lord, we do pray that you would do this work that you would convict us of our sins, and that you would help us to receive your word humbly as we ought. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we live in a time when people are very easily offended. Uh, this is seen in culture where there is very often, I'm sure you can think of um, tens or even hundreds of examples of this, where there is a great uproar over very simple statements. Often they are very harmless. Uh, very often they are true statements. And yet there are very often these demands for people to apologize and to say, you know, what I said was offensive and that sort of thing. People are even told that they need to give warnings about uh, if they say, if they have content in their speech or whatever else that may be offensive. There are requests that are often made even before people say certain things that, you know, if you say this certain thing, I'm going to be offended, therefore you can't say uh, this very thing. Again, very often these things are harmless, very often these things are true, and yet the culture will not tolerate it. And uh, if you think about where we are then in today's world, the reality is, is that what Christ says here is absolutely unthinkable. This would be, the, the things that the Lord Jesus Christ says to this Canaanite woman 
would be immediately condemned in today's world, immediately condemned as being bigoted and especially racist. And I'm actually not even saying this as a conjecture. Uh, there is, in fact, a, an unbelieving so-called pastor uh, who promotes homosexuality, who has a video that he has uh, posted online where he actually says this, this very thing. He says that in this text, what Jesus is saying to the Canaanite woman is racist. He says that Jesus is being racist when he calls her a dog, but she, as, as is so often said, speaks truth to power, as the postmodernists like to say. Uh, this woman is, is in, this, in the view of this, this uh, so-called pastor, uh, she is uh, commended for her courage of speaking truth to, to, to power, that is to Jesus, whose words are taken to be deeply problematic. Uh, that is an actual explanation of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that is found today by someone who even, um, you know, obviously is not following the Lord Jesus Christ, but who is at least making that claim. Now, if that's someone who is, you know, generally uh, on, who takes himself to be generally favorable towards the Lord Jesus Christ, you can imagine how these words are, are in fact taken by those who are completely against the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Lord Jesus Christ says here is deeply problematic and cannot be received by the world today. We live in an age where people are very easily offend offended. And further, I'm not even going to deny that what Jesus Christ said was offensive to this woman. Clearly, the words that he said were very offensive. They were very offensive words. There's no way to deny it. There's no way to get around the, the, the significance of, of what he is saying, that he actually is calling her a dog in this passage. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling this woman a dog in the passage. You remember even though that uh, Christ simply does not shy away from saying things that are offensive and yet true. You remember that even in the last few weeks, we've been looking at the very first part of Matthew chapter 15, where Christ says very offensive things to the Pharisees. In fact, the, the disciples even point that out to, to, to Christ. They say, you know, do, do you know that when you say such things to the Pharisees, do you know that they were offended? And what does Christ say? He says, he doesn't issue an apology. He doesn't say, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. What does he say? He says, they haven't been planted by my father. And if they're not planted by my father, they're going to be uprooted. They are blind guides who lead the blind. He doesn't apologize at all for the offensive things that he says. So he says offensive things to the Pharisees. And then he immediately comes and he says very offensive things to this woman. And, and yet... And yet, what we see is, is that when this woman hears these offensive things, she is not offended because she recognizes that they are true. She recognizes that they are true, and she humbles herself under the word of God rather than taking offense. And this is the thing that shows her great faith. Brothers and sisters, the reality is this. The gospel, the Bible itself, contains many things that are offensive to the mind of man. The Bible contains many things that are offensive to the mind of man. And this is especially true in today's world. But the Canaanite woman here is commended for responding in exactly the opposite way as those in today's culture are prone to, to respond to things. She's commended because when she hears these difficult words, she humbles herself under it and says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs, even the dogs get to receive the crumbs from their master's table. Lord, you have spoken it truly. You've spoken it truly, and I recognize that I'm unworthy, yet still please, Lord, have mercy upon me. This is the reason why she is commended for having great faith. What we learn from this text, brothers and sisters, is that true faith, if you're going to have true faith, you must have real humility. There, there's a connection between faith and humility. 
There's a connection between those two things. True faith entails real humility. Great faith entails great humility. And that is what is displayed by this woman. Now, uh, as, as we have been looking in this section in Matthew's gospel, you will remember that uh, what Matthew is doing here is he is giving a description of various kinds of responses to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember uh, Christ is rejected in his own hometown. His people, the, the, the people in general are excited about his ministry, but they don't quite understand the significance of it. The disciples have declared him to be the son of God. The Pharisees have been very offended by him. The, this Canaanite woman who also receives a hard and offensive word, and as you could, you could label it that, yet she does believe. All of these descriptions, you remember, all these various descriptions show how different people respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to get you to think about how you respond to the word of God. How do you receive the words that Christ says? There are many different kinds of examples. And this Canaanite woman, the one who is outside of the covenant initially, who is not a part of the people of God, who can even rightfully be called a dog by the Lord Jesus Christ, she is held up as a great example. This is how you are to respond to the word of God. You are to humble yourself under it and you are to receive it with great humility. Now, we're going to look at this passage under, under three headings. We're going to look first at uh, the Canaanite woman and her, her, her plea for mercy in verses 21 through 22. Then we'll, we'll look at verses 23 through 26 where we see what, what's happening in, in these verses is that Christ is putting off the woman. She's, he, he, is, he, is not, he is not actually responding uh, to what she's saying or he is telling her that he is not going to help her. And then we see uh, her perseverance paying off in verses 27 and 28 with the greatness of uh, her humble faith as an example to all of us and what all of us ought to really desperately be, be praying for, that God would grant us the same sort of faith in our own lives. Now, uh, let's look then at verses 21 through and, and 22 as we look at her plea for mercy. You'll notice first, even before we get to what she actually is saying, you'll notice that the woman is described as a Canaanite. Now, this makes sense. The Lord Jesus Christ is going over, as it says in verse 21, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so this would be going into Gentile land. The idea here is that, that Christ is going over into an area where you, you would expect that he's going to come into contact with those who are not Israelites. They are, they are not those who, uh, who are the people of God by birth. They are not those who are members of the covenant in that sense. And the woman here then is, is designated as one of those people. She is called a Canaanite. Now, in Mark's gospel, Mark calls her a Greek and a Syrophoenician. You'll maybe perhaps know this passage under the heading of the Syrophoenician woman, the faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Um, and Mark is emphasizing the same thing, that she is a Gentile. However, it's significant that Matthew makes the same point, but that he actually uses the word Canaanite. Because the word Canaanite, this would, this would not have been a normal term to use during these times. You remember that the Canaanites were those who lived in the Old Testament times and even very far back. The, the, the main time where you see Canaanite would be in the days of Joshua. There were the Canaanites who were living in the land or the days of the, even the patriarchs. They, it was the Canaanites who were living in the land at that, uh, at that time. By calling her a Canaanite, Matthew is um, evoking those same images. That, that he, what he's pointing out is that this woman has ancestors who belong to the same group of people that Joshua completely destroyed when they came into the promised land. That they, they, were, they were those who were under the judgment of God. She, she, they, she's a member of the group that has generally opposed God for many, many generations. 
And what, what Matthew is highlighting is, is that this woman is a part of that kind of people in that sense. That's the kind of person that is coming uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and is making this plea. And what we see then is uh, a theme that we've seen all, really all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, which is that uh, those who appear to be least likely to make professions of faith are those who actually do. That it's those who are, in many cases, furthest removed uh, from having the privilege, the, set, the privilege of being a covenant member, that they are actually those who are rich in faith. You remember, it's the Magi from the East that come and worship Christ first, while all of Jerusalem is terrified and stays away from the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 2. Christ says in Matthew chapter 8, many will come from East and West and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. And the point that's being made by Matthew is that you, you cannot rely on your outward status, that, there are, that the, the main thing that matters about you is not where you were born in that sense. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. The thing that really matters more than anything else is, the, is your heart, is whether or not your heart is true to the Lord. And that is being emphasized here as this woman is immediately described as a Canaanite. Now, you'll, you'll recognize then further that she then calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ and asks for mercy. And the reason for the, for the plea for mercy is quite uh, plain. Her daughter is uh, severely demon-possessed, we were told, not just demon-possessed, but even it's to an extreme extent. So, you, so the, the idea here is that, the, you know, that, this, that this mother is obviously very concerned for her daughter. There is a, you know, anyone who is a parent here would, would immediately uh, be able to identify with the kind of feeling that she has. She, here, here is a plea of a desperate mother who would do anything for her child. And so she calls out to the Lord Jesus Christ and she pleads them for mercy. Now you'll notice in this plea for mercy, what she says is, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, she calls him. And then secondly, son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now there's a few things that we have to, to note about this request and this plea for help. Notice that though she is a Canaanite, she's outwardly a Canaanite, yet her faith is Israelite. That she, she calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ and calls him not just, not just some great person in general, but she is basing the grounds for her hope on the fact that he is the son of David. He's the son of David. That is to say, I believe, what she's saying is, I believe you are the promised Messiah who is to be given to your people, the Israelites. And in that capacity, I plead with you to have mercy upon me. She is Canaanite outwardly, but her faith is Israelite. Son of David was the, the, the general term that was used to describe the Messiah from the Old Testament. This is the way in which the prophets even described the coming of the Messiah. He would be either David or the son of David. And further, we note from the Old Testament that uh, the Messiah was, in fact, even as Christ says later, as we'll see, he, the Messiah really was sent to the people of God. He, he was sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's not wrong. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Romans 2. Uh, and so, so um, she, she's even, even recognized that. She's saying, you know, I, I am calling upon you as the Messiah, yet to have mercy upon me. Uh, and I believe you are able to do this because you are the promised Messiah of the scriptures, the son of David as it is given. Now, now, she is saying she believes that Jesus is in fact this person and that therefore the kingdom of God is coming. It's important to note as we think about her being called a Canaanite that 
at other times when the kingdom of God came bursting in, in the Old Testament, that, that, that usually actually came with great acts of judgment. That actually, um, you, you think of even with Joshua, when the kingdom of God comes in and, and God gives a great salvation to his people and brings his people into the promised land, that meant the destruction of her ancestors. The Canaanites were wiped out because of that. And so perhaps she's even, she even has that in mind and is recognizing that, you know, as Joshua came into the land, there was going to be this judgment. Perhaps she understands that if the son of David is coming, it will come even with great acts of judgment, as we know will in fact happen on the last day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But, you know, perhaps she also remembers that when Joshua came into the land and the Canaanites were destroyed, that there was in fact a woman who was saved, that there was in fact one who feared the Lord and who, though she knew that she was not an Israelite, yet she had an Israelite faith. And this was, of course, referring to Rahab. Uh, Rahab had an, an, an Israelite faith and did not say, I'm going to cling to my people. I am going to cast myself upon the God of Israel because he is the true God. And that, brothers and sisters, is exactly what this woman here is doing. As the kingdom of God is coming in, she is yoking herself to the people of God. And in this sense, turning away from her own people because she believes that the Messiah truly has come. He is the son of David and all of my hope for help is in him. That is what she is doing with this request. She, has, she is a Canaanite by birth, but she is an Israelite by faith. Now, as she makes this request... As she makes this request, you'll notice that in verses 23 through through 26, uh, Christ basically just puts her off. And this is done in various ways. Actually, three times, three times, he puts her off in different ways. So first, in verse 23, she comes with this this great plea in, in desperation. And Christ's response is basically to ignore her. He does not respond to her at all. The disciples then uh, tell him to send her away. You know, she, they say, you know, she's crying out after us. Um, surely to them, Christ ignoring her makes perfect sense. She is a Canaanite. She, she's outside the people of God. We've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You've got this Canaanite who's coming after us. Lord, just send her away. That, to, to the disciples, that would make a perfect sense. Uh, then after continuing to call, the, the second time the Lord Jesus Christ puts her off, You'll notice she continues to call. She's not deterred by this. She's not deterred by the silence of Christ. She's not deterred by the disciples telling uh, Christ to, to put her away. She continues to call, and then Christ tells her explicitly that he, is not, he has only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The point is that she is not a part of the people of God. She is, in this sense, an unclean outsider, and Christ must prioritize the people of God. But you'll notice even this does not stop her. So now he, he's not only ignored her, but now he's said, basically, I will not help you. I will not help you. I have to go to these other people. I have to go to these other people. But she continues to call out and she pleads with them again, says, Lord, please help me. And at this point, Christ responds the third time, the third time he puts her off, where he, he says it is not right to take bread from the children to cast it to the dogs. So here, uh, what, what Christ is saying here is essentially the same thing as what he said in, uh, in verse 24. The idea is, that, the, that those who are outside of the faith, those who are outside of the people of God, they were unclean. And therefore, he's, he's basically saying the same thing, but using a metaphor. The idea is, is that um, the, 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 the Israelites were clean as those who are the people of God. If you were not a part of the people of God, you were part of the unclean peoples. And therefore, in this metaphor, he calls her a dog because a dog is itself unclean. 
So the idea is just as a dog is unclean, so too you are unclean. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, saying to her. So he's saying the, the same thing. And because of this then, the implication is that she is unworthy, is what, she, is what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Now, you'll remember that last week we actually looked a bit at the clean and unclean laws. And you'll remember that one of the things that I argued with regard to uh, what Christ is saying about what goes into your mouth does not make you unclean, but only what comes out of the mouth. And what, how Mark interprets that, he says, is that, is that this, by saying this, Christ declared all foods clean. And you remember that one of the things that I said was that um, the purpose of the food laws itself, the purpose of the food laws was to, was to put up a division between the Israelites and the Gentiles. And Christ, now it's very, it's very significant, that as Christ is declaring all foods clean, in the beginning of Matthew 15, immediately after, he is, then, he is then brought into contact with someone who is, in fact, a part of that unclean people for which the, the food laws were put into place. As I say, the food laws were put into place so that there would be a division between the Jew and the Gentile. And now if the food laws are gone, then it means the Gentiles can be brought in. And immediately we see, after Christ declares that, now we have a Canaanite woman who has great faith. That is to say, the... the, the the theological significance of the food laws being done away with are already being played out in the very, very next passage. That this Canaanite woman who is, who is apparently unclean, she now gets to be declared clean because there are, in fact, no more unclean foods. There are no more unclean uh, animals. And so uh, there is this statement of, then uh, that Christ says to her, and we know that, of course, she will, in fact, uh, humble herself under this word. Now, I, I, that's just something about the meaning, the significance of, her, of Christ calling her a dog, even uh, in the context of, of uh, what, the, what he said to the Pharisees earlier. There is no getting around, though, as I mentioned at the beginning, that this word from Christ was offensive. There's, there's just no getting around that it was offensive. Now, it's important to note, as I mentioned further, it is, in fact, true. What he is saying to her is true. She is outside the people of God. Christ has been sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As I mentioned, Paul says the same thing in, in, the, in the book of Romans, that the gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Greek. There is a priority for the people of God. Christ sends the, the, the disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, says, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that this was because of the status of, of, the, of the Israelites as the people of God. So what he, what he says to her, is in fact offensive. But how does she respond? How does she respond? Does she respond by taking offense? Does she declare that Christ's words deeply are deeply unjust and problematic? The answer is no. She agrees with Christ and then pleads for mercy anyway. Uh, I, was even, I was thinking about um, how to preach this and, and sometimes you're, sometimes it's a difficult thing. You can be at a loss when you read uh, such um, such glorious words to think, how can, how can you even convey it better than what the text says? Or how, how can you just even get across the sense of the text? But ju just consider what, what, what she says. Christ says, it is not right to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. And she responds, yes, Lord. But even the dogs, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What she is saying is, is I may be a dog. I do not deny it. I am worthy of nothing. I will be content if you will but give me the smallest of the crumbs that fall from the table. But yet, Lord, please have mercy on me. 
please have mercy on me. Far from speaking truth to power, as the false teacher on the internet says, what she is doing is she is recognizing the truth of Christ's power. She is recognizing the truth of her nothingness by comparison, her own unworthiness, and then she is begging to receive even the smallest of the demonstrations of the mercy of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what true faith looks like. This is what true faith looks like. And you can look high and low. You can look from one end of heaven to the other, and you will scarcely find an example of such faith on the earth. You will scarcely find an example of such humble faith. Now, as, as she makes this statement, Christ recognizes the same and declares that her faith is great, that though she may be a dog by virtue of her heritage, yet she has shown herself by her humility and by her faith to be a true Israelite. And Christ then declares that it, it will be done to her as she desires. And uh, since he truly is the son of David, as she has confessed, her daughter is immediately healed. Now, there are, there are two things in particular I want to point out about, about this profession of faith of this woman and, uh, and the way in which she responds to the Lord Jesus Christ. The main thing to understand, the first thing, is that this profession of faith uh, entails great humility. And that this is, in fact, part of the, the nature of faith itself. True faith is always going to be a humble faith. And it's important to, to draw out a few things that we think about the woman's response in comparison to the Pharisees. As I mentioned at the beginning, note, uh, Christ says offensive things to both. He says very offensive things to the Pharisees. The, as I mentioned, the disciples even point this out. You know, you've said very offensive things to these Pharisees. Uh, do you know that? The woman, uh, the woman has offensive things said to her as well. The Pharisees respond in wrath, but the woman responds in humility. Now, if it is the case that the woman's response is a response of humility, that she, she can receive very hard and difficult words, and her response is to, to say, Lord, it is true, and even more could be said, but yet still have mercy upon me. If we call that humility, then what, what sort of response is it then to respond in wrath and to respond by being offended when difficult words are said? The answer is that it must be pride. If it, is, if it is humility that allows a difficult word to be received well, then it's actually pride and arrogance that does not allow it to be received well. It's actually pride and arrogance that, that causes a person to be very easily offended. So when we think about then what is happening, we see that there is, on the one hand, the humility of this woman, but then by contrast with the previous passage, there is a great pride on behalf of the Pharisees. And brothers and sisters, as we think about what is, what is happening in today's world, as you think about the, the, the culture that is easily offended, what does it say about that culture that is unable to receive difficult words that are true? What does it say? It says this culture is proud and arrogant. That is what it says just like the Pharisees. It is, it is, there is a requirement for humility to be able to receive the hard words well. And that is, in fact, what is required for faith. Now, I've, I've been using the example of the Pharisees. There's a, and there's, it's meant to be a contrast. You know, they're put right next to each other in the gospel. There's the Pharisee on the one hand. There's the Canaanite woman on the other. Um, the reason why these are put back to back, they're obviously meant to be contrasted. But then also, the point is that... Um, we're not to think that only the Pharisees and only this Canaanite woman are those who receive difficult words. 
The reality is, is you receive difficult words. This is the way the scriptures work. The scriptures speak difficult things to everybody. And the only ones who truly have faith are those who receive those difficult words in the way that this woman does. So you think, you know, perhaps you've not been called a dog. And uh, I've not done that from the pulpit to, to you. Perhaps uh, you, you have not had the kind of thing said to you as was said to the Pharisees. But yet, yeah, consider what the scriptures say. Consider what the scriptures say. These are things that are said to everybody. That all the thoughts and intentions of man's heart are only evil continually. That, that, that is what is said of mankind. That, that, that is what is said even of you. It's a difficult word to receive. It's easy. It would be easy to, to hear those sorts of words and say, you know, all the thoughts and intentions of man's heart are only evil continually. Well, that may be true of some people, but it's not true of me. And if, you, if someone were to press you and to say like, no, no, it's true, like specifically of you. If, you. if you can't receive that word well and you get offended, well, then this is, this is an example of not receiving the word well. You've had difficult words said to you that is in fact true, that's said from the scripture, said from God, and yet it cannot be received well. That's a, it's an example of, of unbelief. The Bible declares further that all men are so wicked that they deserve nothing good from God at all, that the very life that they live is an unearned delay of judgment, and that what all men deserve in their sins is eternal judgment where there is a conscious pain for all time due to their sins against God. That is what the Bible says of all people. Further, the Bible declares that God will show no partiality to any man. He is not impressed with any of the greatness of anyone who has ever walked the face of this planet, and he laughs at all attempts to overthrow his rule. That's what, that's what the Bible says. The Bible declares that God was under no obligation to save anyone, but that he chose to save some, that he has passed over others and has left them to condemnation, and that he was perfectly just to do so because of the, of the severity of everyone's sin. That is, that is what the scriptures teach. And here's the question. When you hear these things, you hear the Bible say all these things about you and even say all these things about your sin, will you respond by saying, well, that's, that's not fair. Surely a loving God wouldn't do that. That's not the God that I know. How, 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 could, how could God possibly do it? There's no way that God would send someone to hell forever. There's no way that God would do it. How could God be fair if he passes over some and chooses others? How, how could God do that? Brothers and sisters, if you respond in, by taking offense to the true words of Scripture, you're responding like the Pharisees and not in true faith. The correct response, the response of this woman, the, the, if you take the response of this woman and apply it to these words, it would be to say, yes, Lord, I acknowledge that my sins are worthy of hell. I am unworthy of the least of your blessings. If you were to have chosen to pass over me, what could I say? You would have been acting in perfect justice. I can say that whatever judgment that you, you pour upon the unbelieving is perfectly just. And if you had not given me faith, there I would be as well. I, I, I have nothing to commend myself about uh, my response to you, I acknowledge that it's been given by you sovereignly. I was rebellious in my heart, but yet, Lord, yet, Lord, though I am unworthy of all of your blessings, yet, Lord, please have mercy upon me because I know that in the scriptures it has been revealed that you are a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and in this is all of my hope. That is the response of faith. That is the response of faith that is required. That, that, is, that is the faith of true humility. Brothers and sisters, true faith 
entails real humility. And the question is that when you hear difficult words come from the pulpit or from uh, the pulpit insofar as they are, uh, they are consistent with the Word of God, when you see difficult things in the Word of God, the question is how will you respond? Will you take offense or will you humble yourself under the Word of God? Now, the, the second thing I want to point out about, uh, about her response is, is note her persistence. Her persistence that it was her understanding of her need that caused her to persevere in coming to Christ. She realized she had this need, and it was related to her daughter. Her daughter was severely demon-possessed. And because of that circumstance, no, there was nothing that was going to keep her away from the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing in the world that was going to keep her away from him. There there was no obstacle whatsoever. And even the, the point of Christ putting her off for so long is to make that evident, is to make evident just how strong her faith was, just how persistent it was going to be. To what lengths would someone like her be willing to go? The answer is very clearly to any lengths. She, there, would be, there would be nothing that would keep her away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is an important thing to think about. Uh, when you face various trials and difficulties in your life, th- this, is, this is the kind of question. There are, there are difficulties that you face in your life. And the question is, is will any of those things keep you away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Or, or will it be that as even, even as you're in a difficulty, perhaps you're even crying out to God and it appears that there's no answer. It appears there's no answer. It appears the answer is no. The question is, will you yet persevere? This woman was told no. She was told no several times. And yet she said, I, I, Lord, please help me. I, I will continue to call out until I receive mercy from God. I've got nowhere else to go. And I'm going to keep coming until God manifests his grace in my life. Now, that, that's what she did. And so the idea is that her humble faith is, manifests itself in a persistence even in prayer. Now, as you think about your own situation, it's important to recognize that um, all of us, all of us have at least as great of a need as this woman. She, she, she's coming to the Lord Jesus Christ because her, her daughter is severely demon-possessed, and we don't want to make light of that at all. Any, any of us in that sermon situation would do the same thing in, in, terms, of, in terms of seeing the, the, the great need. The, the, it would, it's a great need. Uh, but recognize that it is still less than the need that we have as sinners before God, that, that before him, before him there, there is simply there is no hope at all. There, there is no hope at all unless we receive mercy and grace at his hand. And so the question is then, is it, if you recognize that that is your condition, I am a sinner before God. There is nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to atone for even the least of my sins. There, there is nothing I can do to change my own heart. I, I, am, I, I am completely at a loss if I'm left to myself. If that is your situation, does that lead you to then say, I will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and I will not allow anything to keep me from him. I will come and I will keep coming. And if, if I'm put in the, the, the most difficult of all circumstances and it appears I'm being told no over and over again, yet I'm going to be persistent and persevere in coming to God. That is the thing that shows the great faith of this woman. She says, you know, she's ignored. And then Christ says, I've not been sent to you. And then, she, then he calls her a dog. And yet even then she says, Lord, Lord, but yet, yet please be merciful to me. Please be merciful to me. Brothers and sisters, Brothers and sisters, a true faith is a faith that is humble and a, tr- and a faith that manifests itself in humble, persevering prayer. Now, 
as faith wanes in this country, there is a rise in pride. That's the thing I've been, been arguing with regard to uh, the, the e- easily being offended. Today, we live in a world where people are uh, so arrogant and proud that they are attempting to control reality, to demand that uh, their conception of the truth, which they have come up with in their own minds, which is contrary to reality, is something which all people must bow the knee to. It is really nothing less than a claim to be God. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you have a version of the truth that is contrary to, to reality, and you then demand that all other people submit to it, you, you have made a claim that is, uh, that is on par to, 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 to deity. And that is the level of arrogance and pride that we see in this world today, where, where there, is, there, is, there is a pride that uh, goes beyond what you would normally conceive of as being possible, and yet it is the sort of pride that we see today. And this is one of the reasons why there is a growing opposition to Christianity. The Bible, to a world that is that proud, says that God is the only one who determines truth and that any, any opposition to him will be met with the swiftest judgment. That is what the scriptures say. Now, the question is this. In such a culture, how will you respond? What kind of confession will you make? Will you take offense like the rest of the world? Will you declare Christ's words to be deep, deeply problematic and racist? Or will you say, Lord, I'm unworthy? And, and Lord, what you've said of me, I know that you could say even very much more. I'm unworthy. Please, please have mercy upon me. If you humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ and make the good confession that Peter makes in chapter 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you will humble yourself under the word of God, then Christ declares you to be blessed. May it be that God would grant you the grace so to hear the word of God, to humble yourself under it, to be given the ears to hear, which is nothing else than to have the humility to receive difficult words. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Oh, Father, when we come to passages like this, it can be, Lord, it can be difficult to even even think about how to, uh, how to communicate it it's in a way that does it justice. And Lord, yet we, we, Lord, we do pray that you would, that you would yet, Lord, that, that you would yet work by your spirit and that you would produce in us this sort of humble faith, that you would produce in us this, this sort of faith that is greatly commended by you. Father, we, we profess that we have not been, Lord, Lord, we, we have not had this sort of faith very often, we hear the rebuke of Christ, O oh, you of little faith, in the context of a rebuke to the disciples, and we can see our own lives in it. Lord, very rarely are we, are we in, a, in a situation where we can respond like the Canaanite woman here. Lord, grant us, grant us faith, O oh God. Grant us faith. For, Lord, we do believe, but please do help our unbelief. We ask that you would work this in our heart by your Spirit. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. 
now by the grace of God we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.